This time on Culture File, the question of what your genes can tell you about how much money you're likely to earn and the very contested answer. Professor Paige Harden is a behavioural geneticist and the author of The Genetic Lottery, a cat among the pigeons book on what our genes might tell us to expect from our lives, not just in illness and disease, but in education, earning power, happiness. This, of course, is the kind of territory stalked by exclusionary theories of eugenics, used to justify everything from discrimination to racism, sterilization and genocide. But Harden's twist is that new information in the world of genetics, rather than supporting the status quo, might actually be the key to tackling inequality. I wrote the book trying to have a conversation with not just other scientists. This book originally started out as a paper, actually. I thought I would write, a, you know, maybe 10,000-word paper for a scientific journal. And at the same time, I, you know, I'm on Twitter and I interact with people who aren't scientists. And I progressively realized that so many of the things I was writing about in that very technical context were applicable to conversations that were happening beyond the walls of the academy. And so the book is both academic in the sense that it's published with an academic press and it has footnotes and it was fact-checked and it's scholarly. But I was trying to speak to people who, you know, might not have encountered any of the scientific content since college or even high school. Yeah, and, and, and I guess I'm one of those people. So I've, I felt um, I, I'm starting on, on an uphill ride. For a lot of people, non-scientists, we, we'd have an idea that there, there are things that are heritable that come to us through our genes. But we might view that process somewhat simplistically. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not talking for the moment about the effects of, of the environment, but we probably get caught up in the idea there's a gene for something. That view of genetics as a gene for something is is very much a product of how genetics and biology is taught in school. You know, if you took genetics or had any exposure to genetics in high school and secondary school, for instance, you probably learned about the gene for having blue eyes or Mendel's pea plants, the gene for having smooth versus wrinkly peas. And of course, the popular media also uses that phrase, um, you know, the gene for depression or the gene for being gay. Um, and, and so to talk about this topic is it really is an uphill battle, not just for the reader, but also for the author to think about, well, what preconceptions are there out there? And then how can I strip those away and then rebuild them up with a, with a more sophisticated knowledge? With anything that I would study as a psychologist, when we're talking about personality or mental disorders, addiction, intelligence, behavior, there is almost never a gene for anything. There's lots of genes that combine in ways that we don't understand in interaction with the environment that changes our probability of developing in this direction versus this direction. And describing those kinds of um, uh, multiplicity of causes, none of which is deterministic, is really challenging. One of the, the terms that's been invented since I was in uh, secondary school is the polygenic index. And this is the thing that helps spread out the cause of anything genetically, in the sense that that's how we get away from the idea of the gene for. Yeah, so a polygenic index, so poly just means many. So a polygenic is many genes added up into a single score, into a single number. The way that's constructed is by taking a really large group of people. Let's say you have a million people 
and you've measured something in all of them. And that something could be height. It could be the number of years they've spent in school. It could be how depressed are they. And that outcome, which we call a phenotype, is then correlated with genetic differences between people that we've measured. So we might measure 8 million genetic differences. Each one of those is correlated with that outcome, that phenotype we've measured. And so we end up with a list of very small correlations. Those correlations can then be applied in a new group of people. And so I go to you and I say, okay, now I've measured your genome. I'm going to add up all of the height associated with being taller genetic variants that you have. And I'm going to add all of that information up into a single number, and that's going to be your polygenic score for height. So it's basically my best guess as a researcher, based just on information that I've measured from your DNA, about your likelihood of being taller versus shorter. And those guesses for height are actually pretty decent. For something like education or intelligence, the polygenic scores are not perfectly predictive of someone's phenotype, not by any stretch of the means. But they are as strongly correlated with some of the outcomes we care about as some of the more traditional social science variables. So for instance, a polygenic score for educational attainment in white people from high-income countries is as strongly correlated with their rates of going to college or for of graduating from college as knowing something like their family income. So that's a, you know, a, a decent correlation that makes it scientifically interesting. You use a rather elaborate metaphor in the book to, to describe how this might work in the world. And you talk about the world of restaurants, which is <laughs> something, something that I could easily grab here. But it, it's very interesting because what it takes into account, this, this metaphor of restaurants, is what use the prediction might be put to. So t- tell us about that, that picture of the world of restaurants as, as a poly-restaurant index, yeah. a polygenic index. So, so the metaphor is this. So imagine that you are you know, you are an alien and you've come down and you're trying to understand why people go to some restaurants more than they go to others. And so you go to something like Yelp, which is, you know, a ratings aggregator and and people rate how good restaurants are. And you say, okay, well, that's a really crude measure of how good restaurants are, but we'll go with it. And then you go to each restaurant and you say, okay, I'm going to come up with a list of every ingredient that's involved in every single one of their recipes. And I'm just going to correlate those ingredients with restaurants Yelp ratings. On the one hand, that's a really strange thing to do, right? Like do restaurants use more cilantro, have higher Yelp ratings? Like it's it's a really crude approach. It doesn't tell you how those ingredients are combined. It doesn't tell you anything about the environments, the atmosphere, the ambiance of a restaurant. But that's exactly what a GWAS is doing. It's saying, okay, well, people have different genetic ingredients in their genomic cookbooks. Which one of these ingredients are correlated with being taller or being heavier or being more depressed or going further in school? So on the one hand, the results of a kind of like restaurant association analysis isn't going to tell you how to cook any more than the results of a GWAS can tell you, well, how do you build a person that's extroverted? On the other hand, it's sort of interesting and fascinating that it works at all, that we do get some information that we can predict to some degree which people are more likely to graduate from college, which is a, a pretty important life outcome. Professor Paige Harden there, and we'll have the next part of that conversation next time on Culture File.